You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So um, we are coming to the end now of our What If series, and we've been exploring Mark's gospel through the lens of this Ched Myers book, Binding the Strong Man. And we've been using this to sort of dream, haven't we, about what our world could look like. So today I get the cheery title of What If the Coming of the Kingdom Has a Cost? So let's start by reading um, a passage together and the words will appear on the screen. So this is from Mark chapter 8 and I'm going to read verses 34 to 37. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So in lots of ways, quite a tough passage, actually, with some pretty harsh words, I think, from Jesus as he describes the cost of discipleship or of being one of his followers. And Jesus says that being his disciple involves these three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So this morning, we're going to explore those three concepts and consider what the cost of following Jesus might be for us today in this generation and in this time. So firstly then, deny yourself. So what does it mean to deny yourself? So the Greek verb, a bit of Greek, forgive me, uh, used for the word deny here means to disown. So it means to disown. And for me, there are a couple of things that really struck me actually about that. So I think there's a sense here of, um, I mean, obvious, of not owning yourself, you know, like not being in charge or in control. You belong, you belong to something that's uh, bigger than yourself. You belong to God. And I think denying yourself is about understanding that you've decided to be part of this bigger thing and that this bigger thing is perhaps more important than your own personal preferences or desires. One commentary I read on the passage describes it like this. I really love this quote. Those who wish to follow Jesus must be prepared to shift the center of gravity in their lives from a concern for self to reckless abandon to the will of God. I read that again. Those who wish to follow Jesus must be prepared to shift the center of gravity in their lives from a concern for self to reckless abandon to the will of God. I love that idea of of shifting the center of gravity in our lives. Everything moves from orientating around our needs, wants and desires to that of the will of God. So what God wants to do in the world and how we can be a part of it, that becomes our absolute priority. And I think we live in a world, don't we, where perhaps our needs and our preferences and wants and desires come first. And there's a sort of gravitational pull towards those things. We can have anything we want whenever we want it. And our culture perhaps sees success as um, within people who have accumulated wealth and possessions. And all of that is around, is orientated around the comfort and well-being of those individuals and their lives. We can say no to things that sound a bit scary or difficult or hard work. 
And I also think our culture communicates a message of, you know, live how you want, be who you want, do what you want. And there's some good in all of that, but I think there's also a flip side. And also the mental health awakening that's taken place in my generation has been really amazing as people have a better understanding now of how to be mentally well, where mental health illnesses and challenges are, are talked about openly. And there's a, a whole range, I think, of support and resources available that just perhaps wasn't the case um, yet, even, even 10 years ago. But again, I think on the flip side is perhaps sometimes that this sort of uh, mental health awakening can kind of encourage us to see ourselves and our mental well-being as totally central. So if something feels scary or triggering, it can be easy to run away or avoid it, rather than understanding that trigger as a kind of pain system that's designed to alert us to something that needs dealing with and moving beyond, and that the doing of that develops resilience in us in the process. So I think already we can see that there's, like a centre of gravity, there's a balance, isn't there, to be found. There's a sort of equilibrium. So denying ourselves in a way that disregards our health, well-being, needs and desires can lead us to become unwell, burnt out and in denial, perhaps even with a lack of self-awareness and emotional maturity. That, in turn, can lead us to becoming damaging, I think, and toxic, not just to ourselves, but in our relationships, workplaces and in church community. I think it's important to remember that Jesus said the most important commandment was to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we need to love ourselves. That's part of it. But putting ourselves too centrally, putting what we want and need before everything else is at odds with the kind of life that Jesus lived and invites us to live. Faith becomes comfortable and self-serving, making us feel good about ourselves and limiting what we're prepared to do in the serving of others. So we love ourselves, but we don't love our neighbour. In the heart of this passage, I think, is this idea of balance and equilibrium. There's a line to walk where we can love ourselves and love our neighbour. And I think denying ourselves is perhaps about trying to find that balance and walking that line. So that's deny yourself. So next comes take up your cross. It's important to try and understand how that phrase would have been received by those who heard it. So did Jesus know at this point what his own fate would be? We're not sure, but others certainly didn't. So we hear that passage knowing that Jesus was himself going to be crucified, but those hearing it wouldn't have known that. So again, it's just a, a reframing. Okay, so how, you know, how would they have heard it? Well, they would have known take up your cross was referring to the specific method of torture and execution used by the Roman Empire to kill criminals, activists and those who rebelled against the authority of that regime. And part of the process was carrying your cross to the place of execution. So having a heavy wooden beam nailed to you that you then had to walk with um, in full view of the community. In fact, we know, don't we, that Jesus was, was forced to carry his own cross. So that is a really brutal, horrible thing to hear, that Jesus is basically saying, if you follow me, you have to be prepared to be humiliated, wounded, tortured, and executed. And actually, for many of the early disciples, that was exactly what happened to them. Uh, so to give you a, a brief taster of that, Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified, and he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy enough to be killed in the same way as Jesus. Thomas was stamped to death by soldiers. James was stoned and clubbed to death. 
um, I could go on, but you get the get the picture. A lot of um, disciples were were martyred and murdered because um, because of knowing Jesus, because of following him. And I think Jesus is is saying this as a literal warning to them that if you know if you really want to follow me, you have to be prepared to follow me into rejection, into humiliation, into suffering, and maybe even into death. Now I think again. We uh, live in a society, in a country, thankfully, where following Jesus is very unlikely, I think, now to cause suffering in, in that way. So we're not going to be executed because of what we believe. And it, it's important to remember that there are still some people in countries that are executed for, for Christian belief. Um, we're very, very lucky and privileged in this country. So while we won't experience that, um, we may suffer and there may be a cost. And that's part of what it really means to follow Jesus. I think when we live in a way where our desires aren't central, you know, when we've given ourselves to, to something bigger, when we've chosen to say no to self and yes to God, there is a cost. And it's hard sometimes. There are things we might not be able to do that we want to do, opportunities that we might need to let pass us by, things we won't be included in, relationships that become really hard. And I can think of people in this church who have chosen to live in that way and have been inspired by some of these choices. So I think of someone who left where they were working because the organisation did something that was really contrary to the values of the kingdom of God. I think of friends going through the adoption assessment process because they want to respond to the massive need in our country. Um, I think over 60,000 kids need fostering or adopting at the moment in this country. I think of someone on our staff team, not me, who could be earning a lot more money, frankly, than they currently are, doing a much easier job, which involves lifting a lot less boxes. I'm giving away who it is. <laughs> um, but they've made that choice. And these are, all not, these are not choices that are self-serving. They're not choices where the center of gravity is about well-being and happiness and comfort. They involve sacrifices. There's a cost. It's hard. And when I was thinking about people that had inspired me around this sort of stuff, I, I thought instantly of our kinship carers. So um, for those that don't know, we run a, a monthly kinship carers support group in partnership with Bain's Council Family Placement Team. Um, and so for those that you might not know, kinship carers is when a child lives full-time or most of the time with someone who isn't their parent, who, but who's a relative or friend. And that's usually because their biological parents aren't able to care for them. And that's actually a lot of the time down to things like parental drug or alcohol misuse, but there's other reasons like bereavement or imprisonment, um, abuse and neglect, and parental ill health as well. But because of that, many of the children our kinship carers look after have um, you know, quite complex emotional and behavioural needs, um, or they're very traumatised from what they've experienced. So in other words, taking on their parenting is really hard. There's a huge, huge cost, um, and it's utterly life-changing for those carers that have said yes um, to, to looking after those children. And every month I have the, the privilege of hanging out with these amazing carers and making them coffee, uh, who yeah, have said no to their personal preferences and desires and have said yes to changing the life of a child or young person by taking on their care. And just imagine if you'd, and some of you might be in this position, you know, imagine if you'd brought up your kids, done your bit, you know, maybe you've just retired and you're looking forward to having some time to do your own thing. And then suddenly this awful situation happens and you're asked to consider begin, beginning parenting all over again, um, particularly a child who isn't going to be easy. And often that then makes your relationship with the, the biological parent, which is often in the case of kinship care, is their own son or daughter, uh, a lot worse. And honestly, I'm, I'm not sure that I could say yes to that. 
but they have. And I think that's what it means to deny yourself and to take up your cross. I find them really inspiring. So it's all a bit depressing at the moment, isn't it? Deny yourself, suffer, and then you're a disciple of Jesus. And it's, you know, perhaps not my, my best evangelistic message or, or recruitment strategy because, you know, who would sign up for that? Yes, I would love to deny myself and ignore my desires and uh, take up my cross and suffer. And yeah, that sounds great. Sign me up. But we're all sitting here having said yes to, to that um, and, and myself included. And this week I've really been reflecting on, on why that is. It's funny, isn't it, when you, sometimes when you plan, well, actually, pretty much every time when I plan a talk, whatever I'm talking about is then the thing that I'm having to learn at that time, or it's something that I then, um, it's really hard to walk through to sort of, you know, um, end up with what you want to say to people. It feels like you you kind of have a bit of a kind of test or something to experience yourself, and that, is, that has definitely been the case <laughs> uh, this week. So um, I, I really do, it's a good job, this is a photographer and not a video. I do love my job. I really do. Um, I love every minute of it, and I feel very, very grateful every day that I get to do it. But honestly, it is it is really costly. It is really hard um, all the time. It's all in, all of me, all the time, sometimes seven days a week. And sometimes, and I think particularly at times this week, that has felt, that feels too much sometimes. And I've had to make difficult choices and sacrifices and there are friendships I've neglected and still do, burdens I carry, life-giving things I miss doing, parts of me I sometimes feel um, that I've lost. But I honestly would not change it for a second. Um, and I think why ends up, um, it reminds me of, of that phrase that Jesus says in this passage, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So in the later part of that passage, Jesus sort of uses this kind of commercial language. You know, he talks about like profit, gain, loss, giving and exchange. So it's kind of like a weighing of the costs and the benefits, you know, working out what would be better and um, what, what would I lose or gain? What could I give in exchange? But these are just not terms that can define what it really means to, to follow Jesus. Um, because it's not as simple as it is as, as loss or gain or what's better or worse. There's something deeper and greater, wider, more infinite and expansive. It's something that, that you can't define with, with words or with terms like loss and profit and exchange. I think at the very heart of God's nature is this idea of paradox, um, which is similar to the kind of balance equilibrium thing, but it does mean something different. So it's this idea that two seemingly opposing things can both be true. That's something that maybe... You, didn't, you don't think it goes together, actually does go together. And I think this passage is probably one of the best ones. So actually, when you lose your life, you gain it. When you try to save your life, you lose it. So if I said no to God and yes to myself, even if I gain the whole world, you know, what use would it be uh, to lose my soul? And I'm not talking about going to heaven after I die. I'm actually talking about living the best kind of life, eternal life that starts now and here, a life that's about something bigger than just me, a life where what I will do will last far beyond me. Why would I choose any other way? And actually, it's, um, it's that time of year where we collect lots of data for our annual impact report, which will be coming out in January. Um, you can find the last year's one actually at the info desk at the back of church. Um, and part of the process is asking people about the impact the projects we deliver and host have made in their lives. Um, and um, we've collected some of this information already through our impact survey. And also Claire at the pantry has been asking some, some members for their feedback. And again, the timing of this has all just been 
interesting that it's kind of arrived this week because it's reminded me like why it's worth it and why the cost is worth paying. Um, and so I, I want to read out some of these quotes. So there's um, two or three from our pantry members and then one from somebody who attends Breathing Space, which is the project that Bath Mind run in our basement every evening. And that's for people who are experiencing a mental health crisis or who are at risk of doing so. Um, and yet, like I said, they're open every night of the year without fail. Christmas Day, they'll be here. Um, and yeah, they're just here as a safe uh, space for somebody to be with others and, and to, to, to stay safe. So these, these are our, this quotes from, from pantry members. I get a lot of healthy food for very little money. Everyone's kind and supportive. It's a good environment, a friendly atmosphere. If it wasn't open, it would be far more difficult to feed myself healthily. Before, I just wouldn't eat properly. So this is security for my diet. I've got diabetes as well, so it's really important. I have healthy food, and this helps me to do that. Someone else said, everyone is friendly and kind of knows your name. We don't stay for long, but it's a nice place to come. It's welcoming and inclusive. All sorts of people come here. We've got more money to spend. We're heating the place better. And, and also, there's never a time when you come home and there's no food now. Looking at empty cupboards can be pretty depressing. I get to have more choice than I've ever had before, to be honest, on benefits. It's just lovely to look in the cupboard and have a range, a different range of things to eat. Silly things like having jam, marmalade, butter and peanut butter at the same time for me is quite a luxury. I was in a, a bit of a state a couple of weeks ago, so the fact that you're a hub and referred me to Citizens Advice, who have then taken off the load and the anxiety. If the pantry wasn't open, definitely the choice would go down. I'd be back to miserable and making do. I think there was something the other day where I ran out and for the first time I had it already in the cupboard, which was lovely. I haven't had that sort of store cupboard for ages. And then the breathing space quote. I would be lost without the support I receive from breathing space. I rely on it a lot. It has changed my life for the better. I don't actually think... I know it's going to struggle to get through this one. I don't actually think I'd be alive without the support... It has helped my partner massively as well because it means I don't need him around constantly to keep me safe. Breathing space truly is amazing. And I don't do any of these things. You know, I write grants and I, you know, I do my, I play my part, but it's other people that, that make this happen. But, oh, when I read that stuff, yeah, why would I do anything else with my life? And everything that's hard about it becomes worth it when I know that people's lives are being saved, that people are eating that weren't before, that people are able to heat their homes because of what we're doing as, a, as an organisation and because of what God is doing through us, which I think is the same thing. And, you know, I play my part, but this is what you do. This is what you're involved in. Um, and each of us have that different part, but this is what we're doing. And it, it's amazing. And this is just, you know, I mentioned a couple of things uh, with Oasis, but, you know, I haven't talked about any of the amazing things that you guys are involved in. You know, the workplaces that you leave change by being in them, the friendships that you have, um, you know, the way you are with your families, like all these different places where we're living out this stuff. And, and sometimes it's costly, but it's, it's helping and it's working. And I know sometimes maybe in, in those situations you can't always see them, um, but it is, it, it is having an impact. So yeah, sometimes it's costly, sometimes it feels we lose bits of our lives, but what we gain. And to me, that feels like kind of like gaining my soul. You know, it's, it's hard, but it's worth it. And I hope that you think it's worth it too.
So, to summarise, <laughs> denying yourself, perhaps saying no to self and yes to God, changing your centre of gravity to reckless abandon to the will of God, where everything that you do, everything is orientated around the will of God, what God wants um, for our world. Take up your cross. Following Jesus means following him into suffering, into loss, into sacrifice. And follow me. We've perhaps talked about this less, but I think that's sort of a natural what happens after we do those two things. And for me, that's about doing the things Jesus did, walking the way he walked, you know, losing our lives for the sake of that, but actually then finding out that in losing it, we've saved it. That, I think, is what it means to be a disciple and to follow Jesus. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.